Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America. But you have, we have a thousand billionaires in America. You know the average tax rate they pay? Eight, E-I-G-H percent. Eight percent. This has been the President of the United States of America. May God have mercy on our souls. Stu does America. PlaysTV.com slash Stu. Use the promo code Stu because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll save 10 bucks. If you're watching on YouTube, like the video right now. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. Do all the things. Rick Burgess is going to be here to talk about transforming your life. Very, very important stuff. But we're going to start by doing the hacking of Matt Walsh. Yes, Matt Walsh was hacked. Before we get to that, though, we should think about poor Elon Musk today. There's a lot of this story that kind of goes through the Twitter sphere. And Elon Musk had a day today. Now, they had an incredibly successful launch of the biggest rocket ever made. This is going to potentially change the world for space travel going forward. But on the way down, something bad happened. Here it is. Oh, no. And that appears like the automated flight termination system has been activated. Oh, yeah. The rocket went up. Go boom. That's sad. Um, Here we go. This is um, SpaceX gigantic Starship rocket blasts off and then explodes in its first test flight. The rocket, the most powerful ever developed, is set to play a key role in NASA's Artemis program, which plans to put humans on the moon in 2025. Now, this is widely viewed as a massive success for Elon Musk. But what I found interesting about it more than anything else was how they described it. Now, this was described by SpaceX as a rapid unscheduled disassembly which is the freaking greatest term i've ever heard it didn't explode they had a rapid unscheduled disassembly which made me think what do we do here on this show every day what 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 is the role of this show in the world and i think this helps us nail it we are pushing back against the rapid unscheduled disassembly of america That is our role here, and we're going to continue to do that every day. And this Matt Walsh story is a big part of it. This is not something that I feel like could have happened a long time ago. This is a new world, a world that is in the middle of a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. Now, if you didn't happen to be following Matt Walsh uh, and his Twitter account last night, You might have, I mean, if you were following it, you were a little disturbed because Matt was tweeting all sorts of crazy stuff. And I like Matt. He's been on the show before. The fact that he would tweet things like this were really, really, uh, really, really out of character and really, really controversial. Of course, he wasn't actually tweeting those things. His Twitter account had been hacked. In fact, pretty much everything he had had been hacked. Jeremy Boring, who uh, runs the Daily Wire, uh, he said this. You may be aware that Matt Matt Walsh and his Twitter account were hacked last night. What you may not know is that the attack went well beyond Twitter. The hackers have managed to gain access to, well, everything, including 20 years of Matt's emails. This is an incredible invasion of privacy and a blatantly illegal act. That's obviously clear from the beginning. And you think about this like, what are they going to do? 20 years of emails? Can you imagine what it's like? What, what, what was your 
what do 20 years of your emails look like? You ever made a joke you're not happy with from 18 years ago? You ever uh, say something off color? Uh, did you ever, I don't know, put some uh, financial documents in your email that probably, you know, security specialists would tell you not to do? Well, all of that is in the hands of some hacker somewhere. And one of the things that's interesting about this, in today's day and age, one of the first things you'd think of would be, wait a minute, they're going to find some joke, some comments, some off-color thing in these emails, and then, of course, he's going to get fired. He's going to get canceled, right? Well, Jeremy went out and just hit that one up front, and let me just read this to you. He says, what, what scandalous information will the hackers find in Matt's email? I don't know. I'm sure I said things in my 20s that I wouldn't feel great having aired publicly. What will the D- Real Daily Wire's response be to 20-year-old Matt? That's something that may, Matt may have said a bunch of years ago. Hashtag LOL. They're just going to laugh at it. And they're going to say, look, he probably did say some stupid things 20 years ago. If those things come out, they come out. What's fascinating about that response is, is basically like this is one way to push back against this stuff, right? If you get out in front of it and say, look, we don't care what you find. We don't care what you're doing. We're not going to play this game. When you get your mindset there, then it doesn't matter about every tweet that comes out. It doesn't matter what pressure you get. You're already out in front of it. You've already put yourself in a worst case scenario environment and said, you know what? Well, we know this person now. I don't know who he was 20 years ago. We know this person now. We know he doesn't violate our principles now. We know we've committed to him and we're going to keep committing to him. That's a really, really positive thing. and something that a lot of people could learn from. Uh, I know we've been uh, helped by this concept here at The Blaze. I've said a lot of stupid crap on the air. Right. A hundred times I've said stupid things, but I know the network has my back. So I don't have to worry about occasionally making a mistake or occasionally taking a viewpoint that isn't the most popular or even well received by the audience, because I know what they value here is free speech and free thought. And so I don't have to sit around and worry about those things. Now, this sucks for you. Sure. Like it sucks for you at your job because you're probably at a job that isn't the blaze or the daily wire or something similar. And you're probably just trying to get through your day. And if you get stuck, you're screwed. Your company's totally going to turn your back on on you. That's why, of course, our solution to this problem is everyone just joins conservative media. Uh, So good luck with that, because there's plenty of jobs, uh, apparently. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know how a regular person gets through this. Luckily, we have irregular, insane people in the media, and we uh, are here for the time being. But, of course, there's a large effort to make sure conservative media goes away as well. Daily Wire CEO, of course, Jeremy Boring, uh, reveals secret cancel blitz against Matt Walsh, Brett Cooper, and Michael Knowles. Uh, Brett Cooper was kicked off of TikTok. I'm, you know, I like Brett. She's, she's better off not being on TikTok. It's, it's a cesspool of Chinese communist activity. Um, anyway, uh, also, uh, Matt uh, was kicked off of YouTube, or at least he lost his uh, monetization ability on YouTube. Michael Knowles has been going through stuff. He was, uh, you know, had, he was burned in effigy. We talked to him on the radio show today. This is insanity. It should not be happening. Why? Because conservatives like lower taxes? Because conservatives have different views than liberals on uh, some social issues? Because, I don't know, they want to keep babies alive? I, mean, I know these are controversial viewpoints, but can we get over it a little bit? Now, Matt has come out and talked about this. The uh, Supposedly an insider was involved. We don't know 
exactly what that means yet. An insider was it an insider somehow at the Daily Wire? Was it an insider at uh, you know Apple? Was it an insider uh, you know uh, somewhere else? We don't exactly know yet. Uh, but Matt did address this. He had a speech yesterday at the Young America event and decided to kind of take this on head on. Watch. You're not going to make me less eager to oppose you by acting like a monster. Okay, that will have the exact opposite effect every single time. Which is why I can stand here after a year of the most vile, personal, hateful, deranged, demonic attacks I've ever experienced in my life. And I can say that I have never been more motivated to oppose you and everything you stand for with gender ideology. This is a hill worth defending. A hill worth dying on because it's the hill of basic fundamental truth. You can't scare me off of it. You can't make me retreat from it because there's nowhere else to go from here. There, there are no other hills to defend after this. You know, I truly see the fight against gender ideology as the last stand for Western civilization because if the sane side loses this, it's over. It's over after this. So you're going to do whatever you're going to do, but I'm staying put, still standing. It's amazing that this stuff has to happen. Now, you think when something like this happens, you have an actual hack, an illegal hack. We know it's an illegal hack. The hacker is admitting it. Um, when we, something like this happens, you'd think the media would at least rally around and say, that is wrong. We shouldn't be doing that. That is way over the line. We know that was their excuse when it came to the Hunter Biden laptop. Now, of course, the Hunter Biden laptop was not hacked. Of course it wasn't. It was left at a store by Hunter Biden. But that was their excuse for all of the censorship of the Hunter Biden story. We're not going to talk about this because it could be hacked materials and we will not cross that line. Unless, of course, it's a conservative, then they're happy to go way, way over the line. A wired, quote unquote, journalist is banned from Twitter for reporting on the hack of anti-trans activist Matt Walsh. Now, that is a very pleasant telling of the story from Forbes because that's not why he was banned. He wasn't banned on by uh, because he reported on the hack. I'm in a way reporting on the hack right now. I'm not going to get banned for talking about it. The problem with what the Wired reporter did was that they went way beyond banning. Now, when the journalist was banned from Wired, Wired came out with a short statement on Twitter. They said this Wired learned Wednesday afternoon that senior reporter Dell Cameron's Twitter account was permanently suspended after he reported on Matt Welsh's Twitter account being hacked again. Very, very, very favorable telling of that. You'd expect that, of course, from Wired. I don't know why Forbes is doing it. Anyway, Wired says also neither Dell's story nor his Twitter feed contained hack materials. I'm going to say that again. Neither Dell's story nor his Twitter feed contained hacked materials. Remember this. We do not believe his account violated Twitter policy. We have not received any further explanation from Twitter, and our attempts to reach Twitter's press office were met with the customary poop emoji. <laughs> I don't think anybody works there, to be fair. I think they might just have auto-response on at this point. We ask that the account be reinstated and that Twitter provide an explanation. Well, that's just peachy. I love this. After years and years and years and years of conservatives being kicked off of social media platforms all over the spectrum and never getting an explanation, they, they really want one at Wired. Well, I can help you with the explanation here. 
what you said, the second part of that statement, that you did not post any uh, hacked materials, is complete and utter bullcrap, and you know it's a lie. It's an absolute and total lie. Uh, now, here is the story. It's called The Hacker Who Hijacked Matt Walsh's Twitter Was Just Bored. Now, first of all, they go through, and I guess, in, in theory, an attempt to show you that he had really seen these emails or really believed this was the hacker. Here's what the journalist who has been banned from Twitter, wrote, Other screenshots prepare to sh- appear to show the hacker in the midst of uh, compromising Walsh's accounts, triggering authenticating requests received on SIM-swapped device, uh, a SIM-swapped device. Attacks Walsh could have prevented by using an authentication app instead of receiving security codes via SMS or upgrading his defenses with a USB token such as a UB key. So essentially, it's Matt Walsh's fault, right? Like his security wasn't good enough. He should have had, uh, shouldn't have had an SMS, a text message, as his two-factor authentication. He should have had another device, an authenticator or something. And um, while that is a complete BS thing to say, hey, you got hacked. Why didn't you have better security? Uh, that's kind of like, hey, you got raped. Why did you have such a short skirt on? I will say, don't wear a short skirt. And by that I mean, you probably should really, if you do have accounts that have, especially your email accounts, that are still set up on either no two-factor authentication, which is a really bad idea, but even if it's going through SMS, um, text messaging, eh, that's not the way to do it. Step up your security. Because we are in an era where people are doing this with SIM cards all the time, and they are able to do all sorts of crap to people. It's, it's not always people like Matt Walsh who people are targeting for politics or whatever else. Sometimes it's people who are getting their, their life savings wiped out. So seriously, like everything's online. People are trying to do this to you all the time. Go through the extra time, set up the annoying two-factor authentication with an authenticator app, or if you want to go even as far as a USB key, or you can do this through your phone now as well, you should do it. That, that is something you should do if you can. Again, not your fault if you get hacked, but you have, to, you have to do that at this point. But that's not what I wanted to focus on. What I wanted to focus on was when they said this story did not have hacked materials. They go back and forth saying, like, look, we, we show images of this guy's email account showing the SMS attacks. But here's where, I mean, they're blatantly lying. Here's a, this is a quote from the story. The emails between Walsh and uh, Stephen Crowder uh, are largely benign, with Crowder introducing himself before he and Walsh began opining about the imminent collapse of the cable news industry, which thus far has failed to materialize. Really, has it failed to materialize? What are you talking about? The cable news industry, the ratings are down like 70%. So I don't know. I mean, has it fully collapsed? I guess that's the standard here. And the growing obsolescence of talk radio. Talk about shrinking marking, uh, market shares, Walsh, a former terrestrial radio himself, remarks. Again, like, that's a quote from an email. That was hacked. It's a quote from an email that was hacked. Those were hacked materials. They're in the story. Goes on. Walsh goes on to say his primary goal is growing his personal brand for profit. Now, that's the uh, Wired story uh, telling of uh, of his situation. Here's the quote, though. There's certainly plenty of money to be made when you can get millions of hits online. And I'm a capitalist and I have a family, so I've decided to start getting serious about that. First of all, what a terrible person this guy is. I mean, can you believe this? He actually wants to make his life and his family's life better. And he believes in capitalism and he wants to get attention for his work. Oh, my gosh. What a shocking, shocking, shocking email. 
But again, they're using hacked materials to try to paint him into some evil person who only cares about profit. Now, the fact that their criticism is dumb does not get them out of the problems that they've just created for themselves because they absolutely are putting hacked materials online. This guy also solicited the hacked materials, wanted, asked to be DM'd some of these messages, and that is a big part of why, of course, he was hacked, or he was suspended for the hacked materials. Uh, Matt Walsh uh, also responded to a bunch of this uh, stuff, talking about the, the, the setup that we're in now, because this isn't about Matt Walsh. It's not about any conservative. It's not about any specific attack. It's about the state of affairs right now. And he talks about this at the beginning of this clip, and he's totally right on this. We have a, a totally different justice system, at least in the, uh, in the, in the mainstream media and the, in the court of public opinion, when it comes to conservative ideology. It is a real problem, and it's not one of these things that's just going away. Listen. As we've learned, the severity of a crime is judged according to the victim's social credit score, according to the left and how they tally it, my score is very, very low. So there's basically no, there's nothing you could do to me that would not be justified as far as they're concerned. Now, just a few hours ago, uh, the publication Wired put out an article, uh, an interview actually, with the hacker who says that he accessed my phone when a quote, insider, uh, gave him information that the insider apparently had access to and allowed him to uh, switch uh, my phone number over to a SIM card that he controlled. This insider helped him to do that. Now, how did that come about? What sort of insider? What institution was this insider inside of? Uh, what was motivating the insider to distribute my personal data to a hacker? We can make some educated guesses, but we don't know at this point. There's still a lot uh, we don't know about what happened, uh, who did it, how, why. But I'll tell you, we're going to get answers to all those questions. We're getting them right now. And there are going to be consequences. There are going to be severe consequences. Um, And I'll also tell you right now, that includes the journalists who solicited stolen information from my phone. Okay, I hope you can afford more expensive lawyers than I can, because lawyer up. <laughs> this is going to be really, really interesting uh, to watch. But he highlights something incredibly important there. You're allowed to do this to conservatives. You're allowed to go and attack conservatives because they're bad. They're horrible people. They're Nazis, right? This idea that, you know, of course, like people say all the time, like, would you go back and, and kill baby Hitler? Uh, well, you know, uh, like, uh, it would save a lot of lives, wouldn't it? Normally, killing a baby is wrong, I should say. Uh, not for the left. But normally, for a conservative, killing a baby would be wrong. The thing is, for the right, they're basically Nazis, so you can do whatever you want to them. Do you remember this? Going back to actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, a guy who was more closely associated to real Nazis, Richard Spencer. Do you remember this moment? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Just a sucker punch to the side of the head. And you know what the left said? They said, ah, you know, you're allowed to punch Nazis in the head. And this guy's a Nazi. And of course, they equate anything that's conservative to Nazism at this point. Do you remember Chris Cuomo justifying this type of activity? I argue to you tonight, all punches, 
are not equal morally. Mm. In the eyes of the law, yes. Mm. But in the eyes of good and evil, here's the argument. If you're a punk who comes to start trouble in a mask and hurt people, you're not about any virtuous cause. You're just somebody who's going to be held to the standard of doing something wrong. But, but when someone comes to call out bigots and it gets hot, mm. even physical, are they equally wrong as the bigot they are fighting? Oh. I argue no. Mm. Fighting against hate matters. Now, how you fight matters, too. There's no question about that. But drawing a moral equivalency between those espousing hate and those fighting it because they both resort to violence emboldens hate, Does legitimizes it? hateful <laughs> belief, what and elevates what should be stamped out. I mean, where in the Constitution is to say you're supposed to be peaceful, right? This is what's going on in our society right now. There's a moment that happened, I think it was like last week, uh, on the uh, Young Turks podcast. And they were talking about this particular woman. You'll remember her, uh, Rebecca Jones. She was making all these attacks against Ron DeSantis. And I'm going to give you a quote from this. Because she's been seen, shown now to be a total grifter and a real problem even for Democrats. She was lying about all this. We told you about it at the time. We did an entire show on it at one point. The only person, this is uh, Anna Kasparian now talking about how she's sorry that she promoted Rebecca Jones back in the day. The only person that should be held responsible for that is me. I am the executive producer of the show and I screwed up royally. Part of the reason I screwed up is because I had all these biases, of course, against Ron DeSantis. And I don't really feel bad about that. But it becomes a problem that bias blinds you to what f the facts of various stories happen to be. And I should have done my due diligence. I failed to do so. And by failing to do so, I feel like I misled the audience into thinking that Rebecca Jones was some sort of hero. This is how the left is fighting right now. They don't have any rules. They their biases take over and they justify anything. Good on Anna Kasparian for actually uh, admitting it. But this is going around the left all the time right now. The left has created an environment in which harassing and doing illegal acts to conservatives is something that's praised. And meanwhile, you know, this is the type of, 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 of justification that allows you to look at a city burning to the ground and say, ah, it's mostly peaceful. What can you do? You can't really blame them. This is what happens. An entire society can collapse and you can justify it because your politics allow you to justify anything. The rules go out the window when the left wants something bad enough. But we'll be here. We'll continue to fight. We'll continue to keep going because you have to. We just, this country's too freaking important. It is the shining city on the hill still. I don't care if that's an old phrase. It's still true. And if we don't protect it, we're going to have problems. So we will stay here and we will continue to push back against the rapid, unscheduled disassembly of America. A lot of people right now are dealing with the rapid, unscheduled disassembly of their livers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we throw everything at our livers. Cholesterol and alcohol and toxins and Tylenol and cigarettes and all sorts of stuff. That's why so many of us have sluggish, fatty liver that makes us gain weight and lose energy. For decades now, your liver has helped you with all the stuff that you need every day. How about you helping out your liver? 
Liver Health Formula is an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. So if you're looking to ignite your fat-burning metabolism, boost your energy, and transform how you look and feel, try Liver Health Formula. Receive five free gifts when you order today. You get the uh, free bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce sugar cravings. You also get access to four free e-books to support every aspect of your health. Give it a shot now. Try Liver Health Formula today by going to getliverhelp.com slash stew. Get liverhelp.com slash stew. Get your five free bonus gifts. It's getliverhelp.com slash stew to try liver health formula. Really happy to welcome Rick Burgess to the program. He's the co-host of the nationally syndicated Rick and Bubba show. You might have even seen him on Blaze TV from time to time. Founder of The Man Church and author of the new 31-day devotional, Transformed, Embracing the Death of Self and the Power of God. Rick, thanks so much for coming on the program. Stu, this is a big moment. Uh, this is a big moment. Uh, you've got your your great show here on the Blaze. We're Blaze brethren, mm -hmm. as you mentioned. Uh, and I just want to say thank you for taking time to bring me on the show. You look fantastic. My wife told me not to wear a T-shirt. And now I'm going to have to go home and say Stu was dressed. In, he had a towel. Yeah, that, that's right. We'll, we'll edit in post and make it look like I'm wearing a T-shirt, too. So don't worry about it, Rick. We got you covered on this one. Uh, I'm so glad you were able to come on. I, you know, I can't believe you haven't been on before. Uh, and I'm really, I'm really interested in, in this, uh, this movement you're really in the middle of right now, trying to change the way men uh, in, the, in, the, in the church think about themselves and, and think about uh, their journey through life. And I, I thought, you know, because you've got this series of devotionals you've worked on called uh, How to Be a Man. And it's like, how do you explain how to be a man to a country that doesn't even seem to know what a man is? Well, now more than ever, right, Stu, you hit on it. Well, this is the deal. We have become so afraid of masculinity, and I'm not talking about toxic masculinity. Look, there's there's toxic femininity, okay? What, what I'm talking about is men and women are, are equal in value completely, but they're distinct. And, and what even when we, I, we came out with our first devotional, which is now also a 40-week curriculum uh, for small groups of men to, to do or churches to do, when I showed them the title, men were like, oh, you can't call it that. I'm like, what are you talking about? You, you can't come on and say how to be a man. No man's going to participate in that. And I thought, have we really gotten to that point? But what I wanted to do with the first curriculum that we put out was to say that is the question. M most men are saying, all right, and at one time we were considered to be the solution to the problem. Father knows best. Do you remember that? Mm. Now men are living in a society, especially in the West, where people are looking toward the males and say, no, you're not the answer to the problem. You are the problem. And, and we have a, a, a lot of really confused males. And look, just because you're male doesn't mean you're a man, uh, because that's something that's supposed to be taught uh, by older men to younger men and then passed along. And, and even the church, which is why themanchurch.com was established, the, ha adopted a strategy which was crazy, Stu, flawed. And that was the way to reach the family was to go from the children to mama, to daddy, or husband, and husband, which was completely wrong. Scripture does not say that at all. As a matter of fact, there's a headship, not an inequality, but a headship that God gave the male when he created male and female. He created them equal, but he created them distinct. And the further our society has moved away from that design, whether you believe in God or not, 
no matter w- what you may believe, I think we can all just with just logic or, or this new superpower of common sense say that men and women are equal, but they are distinctly different. And if you're trying to bring men into the church by trying to reach them and disciple them through their children and their wives, you are on a terrible path. And most churches have men that are not engaged because most of the Western churches have been designed for women and children. And men are do not feel like they belong there. They don't feel like they're welcome there. And they don't feel like anybody's talking mm-hmm. to them. Why is that, Rick? Because I, I think that there is a natural part of guys who want to be able to look at something they can put their hands on, that they can prove. And faith sometimes, I think, is more difficult for guys to wrap their 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 minds around. Is it that? Is it is there is there something that the church should be doing differently to re-engage men? Yes. And, and and I started noticing this. And look, I was as much of the problem as anyone. When I first was married, I wasn't the spiritual leader of my home. Uh, I let my wife do all that. And, and you know, my, uh, I grew up and, and kind of was immersed in what I call cultural Christianity. I'm from the South, so everybody goes to church. Uh, but for, for very, few pe- very few people, does it mean anything more than a cultural experience? And so, um, and, and I was guilty of that. And, and I realized, which kind of leads us to the current devotion that we'll get to, that I had been sold a version of Christianity that really didn't change anything. If I said the right words and believed the right things, then I wouldn't go to hell. But it really is not going to transform your life into anything different. And then you just kind of move on with your life going, oh, good. Now I'm not going to hell. Well, that's not what Scripture says at all. And that's really, if you think about it, it's looking at at, at what I believe to be the Son of God. We're looking at Jesus Christ and saying, you are so inadequate that if I even if I believe in you, you can't do anything to transform me. But that's not what Scripture says. And so what we found in churches is that on Father's Day, pastors would get up and they would just go on and on. I heard it all the time saying that all the surveys that have been done, that they have found that there is no force that's more influential in the home, in the church and in society than the influence. Again, not inequality, not more value, but the influence and the headship that God gave men. And I thought, wow, these are impressive stats. Uh, If a child comes to know Christ, uh, there's a very small chance the rest of the house will come. It was like single digits. And then if the the wife and the mother becomes a follower of Christ, her influence on the rest of the family to follow Christ got in the 20s somewhere. And then all the surveys I had, the lowest I ever heard, which is the the one we just did, Barna research, that the male still was about an 82% influence that the whole family would follow him in his faith versus anyone else in the home and in the church and in society. And I thought to myself, wow, but then when you went and looked at the budget of the men's ministry of most churches, guess what the budget was uh, ranking? Dead last. Mm. Dead last. And then you would look at the church and say, do y'all have a healthy men's ministry? Do you have a game plan to reach and disciple men? No. And what most of them were doing, and I thought, well, do we believe what we say on Father's Day? Is this something we believe or not? It doesn't look like we believe it. And, and most of the churches were trying to reach and disciple men by treating us like we're women and children. And, and that doesn't work. So what we want to do at themanchurch.com, instead of me complaining about it, I said, well, God convicted me. Why don't you do something about it? So I started developing this system in, uh, in, in my local church for seven years. And then in 2020, some people blame us for the pandemic, we launched this, this themanchurch.com with a men's discipleship strategy, which 
keeps doing what we've done in the past, which is to challenge men, you know, with promise keepers and men's conferences. And those are all great. But but what we were doing is we were challenging men, but we weren't equipping men. So if all you get is high challenge, but you don't equip, guess what you have? You know this, Stu, frustration. Yep. You keep yep. telling me that I'm supposed to be something, but you're not showing me how to be it. And so what we've done is concentrated on that missing link. Many books have been written saying that link was missing, but there, but people didn't seem to be putting together the actual resources to fill the gap of the equipping part, which was sadly missing. And most of the equipping material out there, again, was not designed to reach me in the way God made us. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. This is, of course, what exactly what you're doing with the book, uh, Transformed. And, you know, part of the reason why I think it's hard for people to embrace this is you're pushing back against everything society is telling us right now. Society is telling us we're perfect. Believe in yourself. You can do it. And, and look, some of that messaging is fantastic. Of course, you want to have, you want to be optimistic, but we, you're talking about the death of of self. And I think most people in today's world will be like, the death of self, that sounds terrible. But that is an incredibly important part of people's journey. Can you, can you kind of walk people through this? Yeah. First of all, I don't even use the word Christian much anymore because it didn't mean anything. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's 38,000 different groups that call themselves Christians now. And I, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. But if you look at the, the New Testament Church of Acts, the word Christian is only used three times. Two times it's negative, meaning it was a derogatory phrase of the new disciples of Jesus. Mm. They were making fun of them, saying they think they're Christ-like, they think they're little messiahs. And then Peter tells us um, in, in, his, uh, in his epistle, he says, well, let's now take that as a badge of honor. We'll call ourselves Christians, and we're glad to be called Christians. So don't hear me saying there's anything wrong with calling yourself a Christian. Course, yeah. However— the missing link in the New Testament Church of Acts, there's not one person called a Christian that wasn't already a disciple. Okay, because the word disciple is mentioned in the New Testament over 200 times. So what they said is you can be called a Christian once you have proven yourself to be a disciple. So what I tell people is that I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Or if you want to say Christian, at least say this Bible believing Christian. Okay, and so that that will quickly let everyone know, oh, wait a minute, so you're making a stand. Well, Jesus has always been counterculture, Stu, okay? And 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 so when 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 the world says worship self, Jesus actually said, if you want to, be, want to be my disciples, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. And that doesn't mean that, that Jesus is so inadequate that we become a better version of ourselves. No, what Jesus meant is you will cease to exist and you'll have a new identity which will be found by abiding in me and I will create in you a completely new you and the old self is actually dead. It's not a better version of the former self. Right. This is something that I think people look at as a negative, but it's really a positive. Uh, the book is, is fantastic. It's called Transformed, Embracing the Death of Self and the Power of God. And I know you've done a lot of 40-day devo devotionals. I like that you've whittled it down to 31, so even people like me uh, can get through it. 31 days, yeah. this is an easy commitment for you. Hey, before you go, we have about one minute left, Rick. Uh, you guys just had William Shatner on. Um, I mean, this guy's still chugging and, and doing everything at like 80-something years old. What was that like? Sadly, he thought I was Bubba. No. <laughs> uh, and never came out of that during the entire interview. And I just let it go. Uh, Bubba could not be there for the pre-recorded, and Bubba's actually the, the Trekkie. Mm -hmm. I, oh. I never even watched Star Trek. I like him better as, you know, uh, I, I like this character in Boston Legal. 
I mm. thought that was, you know, Denny Crane to me was hilarious. Yeah. But I never watched Star Trek, so I'm lost in this interview. I don't know any. And of course, you're not going to interview Shatner. He's going to interview you. Mm. So uh, so I thought it was great. He was wonderful. He did think I was Bubba the whole time. I never corrected him. He's 92 years old. Uh, and it was an honor to talk to really a cultural icon. Yeah, very, very cool. Uh, of course, you could watch it on Blaze TV and you should check it out. Of course, it's transformed Embracing the Death of Self and the Power of God by Bubba. Uh, you can check <laughs> Rick Burgess. Uh, thanks so much. We love having you on, man. And come back anytime, okay? Stu, it's an honor. Thanks for giving me time. And you can get it at themanchurch.com or Amazon. It's everywhere. And I hope you'll pick it up. And uh, it's all meat and easy to consume in about 10 minutes. Yeah, go get it because it's a really important message that we need right this second. Rick, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thank you, buddy. Well, like a really terrible horror movie sequel, John Fetterman is back. Yes, this time he's pissed. John Fetterman back in the Senate. Now, he's worked for like four days so far, but he's back now to work a fifth and sixth and maybe even a seventh day. Who knows? And of course, what are you going to do with a guy who has, has basically was it would have been a terrible senator before his stroke and then had a stroke and then can't talk and he really couldn't think before the stroke and now really can't? What would you do with him? Well, of course, you'd put him at the head of a committee. He's a committee chair. And you think, oh, well, what? It's a meaningless committee. What's he doing? He's literally running the development of the next farm bill and the next farm bill will be I promise you over one trillion dollars they've put John freaking Fetterman in charge of it here he is blumbering his way through his day back here in the Senate nice gavel good gavel work I called to this hearing of the US Senate subcommittee and food and nutrition especially crops organics and research to order in my time and effort in IFAS as the mayor of Braddock to lieutenant governor to now, I have heard from Pennsylvanians about their support for a snap. We need to come together and stop playing political games with Americans' access to food. Americans like Chair about Clory Jor from the north to the town of Northeast in Pennsylvania. Mm. tells me that his victim was skimming, which was when somebody stole money and he relied from its SNAP EBT. Great point. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, this is going to go really well. A trillion dollars uh, on, the, on the back of that guy and the aide who's sitting behind him with the weird hoop earrings that are stretching out his earlobes as if it's 1997. Uh, thank you so much uh, for this, Pennsylvania. I want to really just say great choice. Great choice on that one. By the way, Diane Feinstein's still available. She's available. Uh, well, she's not back in the Senate yet either, but she soon will be available, hopefully. Near, but nearly two thirds of Democrats say Feinstein should resign over her absence. And of course, look, I, I want her to stay in the Senate. I just don't want her to come back to work. I want her to stay at home, have a nice time at home, you know, make some blueberry muffins, wake up, smell them, have a great day at home. Don't come back and vote because right when Fetterman's out, it's a 49-49 Senate. I mean, they've just elected so many people who are incapable of doing their jobs. I mean, at some point, the Republicans might be up by 10 seats. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, there is one third, I guess, of people who are saying that she should not resign over this. And I guess it's women, uh, women lawmakers, because they're coming to Feinstein's defense. Uh, even people on the right, uh, Joni Ernst and Marsha Blackburn, I think they have the same motivations that I do, though. 
It's like I, they're saying, oh, it's sexist. I don't, is it sexist, really, or is it just uh, Republicans really want this situation to continue because it's helping them? And Democrats want, of course, the opposite to happen. And they want Gavin Newsom to pick the next person because that person's probably going to win the primary for the seat, which you can win forever because it's California. So it's super highly prized. And people like Nancy Pelosi are, are saying, oh, Feinstein should say that's because... Uh, they don't want Gavin Newsom to name someone who isn't her choice, which is Adam Schiff. Imagine thinking Adam Schiff is the best at anything. Uh, and the reason why we know Adam Schiff won't get picked, at least we don't think so, is because Gavin Newsom promised to pick a black woman, uh, meaning that he was picking on skin color and genitalia instead of actual qualifications. So this is a really good, I think, I think, I don't think we're screwed at all as a society. I think everything's going perfectly fine. You know, buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do. And so if you're selling your home in, let's say, I don't know, California, and moving somewhere like, I don't know, Texas or Florida, you may want to make sure you have a good agent on both sides of that transaction. And that's why I always recommend Real Estate Agents I Trust. They work with only the best agents in every market. They do their homework. They talk to every agent before inviting them to join the uh, the network. And, you know, we're talking full-time professionals, not people who are just doing this on a whim. The team makes the introduction and then follows you through the process, and they make sure that you're satisfied. The agents involved have long track records and are the best in their area, in their industry. So don't miss out. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there. Give them your info. They'll contact you and make an introduction to the preferred agent in your town. It's realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com. So Monday, you're going to have three of the lawmakers who protested. Peacefully protested. Who peacefully protested after the Nashville Covenant School shooting. Have any of the victims or the victims' families been invited to the White House? I don't have anything to, to read out to you about any invite. Why? I just don't have anything at this time to read out to you at any invite. What I can say to you right now is that the president is focused on getting things done. Okay, now, <laughs> inviting people to, to hang out with you at the White House that are in the news and, and are the p- p- progressive person of the day is not getting things done. But beyond that, cringe up here is fascinating to me. First of all, new outfit every day. Has anyone else noticed this? Why am I the only person who notices this? She's never repeated an outfit, okay? Millions and millions of dollars have been spent on her wardrobe. But secondly, and more importantly, when you have a conversation with someone, you don't need to tell them that you don't have anything to read. If someone says, hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you invite the people from, from you know, the actual victims' families from Nashville? I don't have anything to read to you is not a response. That's not how humans communicate. You're just supposed to answer the question. You're not supposed to read everything. Is she so lost in this world that she doesn't even remember how to communicate with other human beings? And I will note that the whole concept of this is disgusting. These are lawmakers who have exploited the deaths of these parents. You have a transgender person who comes in and murders children, and the people who get invited to the White House are not the families of those children, but instead the crappy lawmakers who are exploiting it for profit and power. It is repulsive, as if as is really everything that comes out of this White House. (music) 
Okay, so here's what happened. They said build the fence, but they didn't tell you that toddlers could sneak between the bars. Yes, it happened at the White House. A toddler stuck through the bars and started crawling across the lawn at the White House. Why? We don't know exactly. Could be that maybe, you know, the baby smelled an inappropriate amount of ice cream and wanted to get some. Joe's always eating the ice cream. Could be looking for uh, the Easter egg from the Easter egg hunt. I think that's possible. Possible he wanted to borrow some of Joe's diapers for himself. I think maybe he wanted to rescue some of his toddler friends from the cages in Joe's basement. I don't know. Or maybe this baby. Hunter offered him hookers and blow, and he's an advanced child, you know? Who knows?